Welcome to Gu Dao Jingxing, Walking the Timeless Way, a podcast that digs deeply into the ancient texts of Dao De Jing to uncover its timeless wisdom and discuss how to apply it to today's chaotic world. I'm David Wang, executive coach and consultant. I'm joined by my co-host Ian Felton, a practicing psychotherapist and coder. Good morning, Ian. Morning, David. Yes. So we've been studying、uh, Chapter Sixty Six.、Uh, we've been talking about、uh, you know humility.、Uh, so today I want to continue that conversation with you, and we、uh, this time、uh, let's get into uh, some uh, the practical aspect of、uh, humility.、Hmm. So、uh, let me start by asking you.、Um, Say you know I want to embody humility in my life. Where do I start? Well, for me, I think that there's a couple of contexts to to put it in. In the in the Taoist context, I think about how much of Tao Te Ching is about harmony and and balance, and so being humble in in some sort of kind of、um, in a way where we're we're trying to show people how humble we are, and it kind of becomes this kind of performance.、Mm-hmm. I don't I don't think that's the the way that. What we're trying to do is is create harmony, not perform humility. Do you,、mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you see what, what I mean? Yeah. What do you mean? Like the you kind of a、uh, fake it, or in, in some way to kind of a、uh, for the sake of、uh, of humility.、Uh, no, for the sake of showing somebody、yeah. that you're humble. Yeah. There's kind of I think there's there's and obviously.、Um, All kinds of ways of 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 moral codes and and religions、mm-hmm. and, and people. Th- this is an an easy trap to to get into where um there's a desire to fit in that that people do have this desire to fit in and belong, and so they might actually just try performing. Um, humility to kind of show people, look, like I'm being a good Taoist or a good Christian or a good what Buddhist or whatever, and it becomes sort of this performance where people are trying to、um, create sort of an identity of, oh, I'm a I'm a humble person. It becomes sort of this identity constructive, and because I'm a humble person, I need to kind of. Look this way, and kind of make my face look this way, and,、mm-hmm. and, and kind of talk this this way, and use my voice a certain way, and it becomes then you're you're kind of like a humility robot at that point. It's、mm. not spontaneous. It's not natural. Not a authentic. It's not authentic. Right. What you're saying, interestingly, reminds me of a, a, a quote by actually the former, the late.、Uh, Uh, Prime Minister of uh, UK, uh, you know, uh, a long time ago, you know,、uh, 
<laughs> it feels like a long time ago, Margaret uh, Thatcher. Uh, mm. She said something like this, and I can exactly use that in the context of our conversation. She mm. said, power is like being a lady. If you have to tell people you are, you, you aren't. So we can use that same logic and say, humility is like being a lady. If you have mm. to tell people you are, you aren't. Mm-hmm. Right. So that kind of authenticity mm-hmm. is a very, very important. Yeah, that there's there's a, a feel to it, that there's um, a resonance to it, mm-hmm. and it's it's spontaneous. Again, it's it's about creating harmony in in the situation. Um, so humility embodied that way going back to the water metaphor again it kind of seeks the the low places and and settles there it it doesn't just sort of like pop its head up for for no reason and and display itself water water settles it it lays low and and it has this um sense to it that that it it it's not being contrived it's it's just kind of following this natural path so i feel like that's that's really the the foundational piece before we even start thinking about practicing humility or or trying to develop it that we have to know the difference between am i practicing humility or um have I sort of gotten confused and, and am I trying to, you know, put on the show of, of humility for other people or, or have I become kind of a, a humility robot that's not really um, making room for my whole self as a human being? Right. I see. Say if you, you know, you don't do that, you are not, uh, you know, contriving or striving, Right. Uh, do you think there's still some inten- in- intentionality or kind of a deliberate, uh, uh, deliberate, uh, de- deliberateness uh, to this? So, in other words, you know, if you want to unpack this notion of uh, un- uh, this notion of humility, uh, you know, what what does it really mean? You know. Uh, what aspects of that in terms of your mindset or your behavior that uh, facilitate that kind of uh, harmony you are talking about? What's the connection there? Well, for me, the connection is, is still that we're, we're living in a very individualistic mm. culture but we evolved as a species that really depends upon each other for survival. Yeah. And, and so there's a big mismatch between what it really means to be a human that's wired into our nervous systems where like we, 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 we crave connection. We, we, we crave belonging we really need each other to um, feel psychologically healthy, mm-hmm. to feel secure. But then we've created a culture where um, 
we're supposed to be, you know, success, success means that my name can be associated with some series of accomplishments, which Mm -hmm. is completely at at odds with how we uh, evolved. Yeah. But, but it's good for capitalism and and selling things. Um, So I think at at the essence, humility really means looking back at, um, again, our, our evolutionary past and, and how much we're only here because of, of other people and, and we fit into mm. this web web of humanity and harmony means what, what can I do to um, make sure that everybody's needs are, are being met right now in, in this, in this space, you know, what, how can I be of, of service to the other people that are in this, this space with me? Mm. So to acknowledge and uh, appreciate that uh, uh, that uh, timeless uh, interconnectivity, right? So really, mm-hmm. like to to kind of appreciate the the, the fundamental fact that uh, the the fact that we are alive today has a lot to do with uh, you know how we historically or evolutionary we are connected. We we're mm-hmm. band, we've been banding together, you know to. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Understand. Yes. I, I think that uh, mindset uh, feels like a very rare. I think that's mm. definitely not the first impulse uh, in the modern culture we have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 That yeah, they're, um, you know, again, now, now we're in sort of a, an attention culture and, and everyone's sort of buying for attention and and eyeballs and and so yeah really like humility doesn't necessarily sell or or lead to success in in that culture where you know we we want everyone's eyes to be on us i mean that's not a very uh, that's not that's not necessarily what we would say is a humble approach right let me ask you something related to what you just said do you think that kind of that individualistic culture uh, is more of a human creation? Is there a natural foundation to it? So I understand that the interconnectivity uh, or interdependence you describe, uh, if you really think about, you know, how we have evolved, that feels like, you know, there's a historical, uh, you know, basis to support that, right? But I was wondering whether, you know, our separateness or uh, we, we, have, we have this selfhood, this idea of a self, is it natural or is it something that, uh, in, in, you know, in modern, in the modern history, it's, you know, some people kind of almost like elevated that or carved that out uh, and then, you know, then we we have that awareness or and then it translated into the behavior more in indiv- more individualistic behaviors nowadays what do you think yeah it's i mean i don't know that i would go so far as to call it a perversion but essentially these I- identity constructs really started blossoming and and marketing in in the 1900s there's a a youtube video out 
it's called Century of the Self. I mean, it's not a YouTube video, but it's on YouTube. But essentially, it talks about Sigmund Freud's relative um, who um, really figured out how to turn, sell more things by making people build their identities around products where it's like, oh, if you buy this product, it means you're this kind of a, a person. Mm. And, and people's identities really started being shaped in a way to market people, to um, market things to, to people. And, and now I see so much of identity in, in all sorts of ways in our society today. It, it really is um, co-opted a lot by marketing and corporations to, 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 to sell things. So going back to, to Taoism and Tao Te Ching, the sage is like uncarved wood. And when I think about that, I think, well, that's someone who doesn't have all these identity constructs. There's sort of this sense of being that doesn't have you know, all of these um, manufactured concepts of, you know, I'm a good person or I'm a Republican or I'm a Democrat or I'm a white person or I'm Asian or I'm you know, all this stuff that our minds have been kind of filled up with and programmed with from the time that we were born, we have to remember that when we evolved pre-agriculture and animal husbandry, there weren't corporations, there weren't nations. I mean, there there weren't, um, obviously, all these identity constructs that exist in this day and age just simply weren't there. Um, language was used functionally, but we didn't use it to kind of create all these divisions between each other to kind of create this individual identity where it's like now, you know, I'm, I'm Ian and my last name's Felton and that means this and, you know, I'm from this state and now there's all these identity constructs that come along for the ride when I say I'm from Appalachia. And, you know, I'm an American and I'm from the United States and I'm white and, and on and on and on. Well, that's not the world that we evolved in. I mean, none of this stuff, th- there weren't corporations, there weren't organizations, there weren't all these labels. And so I think when we think about the sage being uncarved wood, it's really about a being who's absent of identity constructs and is more of just this embodied sense of, of, of Tao, of, of this harmony of you know, what's needed in, in the moment. How, how do I blend in with what's happening to best serve whatever's needed? It's interesting as I hear what you are observing here uh, one thing that uh, pop up in my mind, you mentioned, you used the word uh, identity constructs or individual identity, but what sounds to me, it's not individualistic, it's not a, a true individual at all. Mm-hmm. So in no. other words, it's like you're taking a picture uh, through different dimensions, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm looking at, let's say, Ian Felton, so I'm taking a, a, a race view, 
I'm taking a social economic view, but mm-hmm. none of it is your true individual as right. Ian. I know it. Yeah. So yeah. what are we ta- what what are we talking about individuals? It sounds like it's uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, at least it it's not a, that the true or holistic individual mm-hmm. of anybody. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. every dimension that you know people like uh, kind of a shed light on or. Or, 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 or put it under the uh, under the spotlight. It's just one piece of it. So that's kind of a uh, I would say uh, from what you're describing, it's almost like uh, ironical or paradoxical that the individual culture culture we are building mm-hmm. in, the, in the way you describe it mm-hmm. is not individual at all because there's mm-hmm. no essence of anybody yeah it's like piece together it's like i'm like uh, extracting the racial piece from ian mm-hmm. from somebody mm-hmm. else from somebody else and and a string that together that is artificial mm-hmm. so sometimes yeah, i want, exactly. was wondering if you do that are you actually take the real meaning of an individual from everybody so even if you are kind of feel, oh, that sounds like me, or, but then after a while, you feel a deep inside, you don't feel uh, uh, fulfilled at all, you still feel empty, because that's not your real you. Yeah. So uh, it, it seems to me from what you're describing is that even though, uh, you know, this is, um, you know, the society is giving a lot of inter- uh, attention to individuals, but it seems like the, it's, a, it's a partial individual. It's not a, a, a complete individual to me, just exactly. by highlighting different aspects of an individual and, and group that all together. Yeah, it, it, exactly. They're, they're actually shackles. I mean, these, these um, demographics and identity pieces um when we talk about psychological flexibility which is something that i find is is incredibly valuable um clinging to identity is a sign of psychological rigidity Mm, and we we want to do the opposite of that we want people to see like yes none of these ideas about all these marketing demographics and social demographics and all this stuff that you think is you, that's not really you. Those are kind of conveniences and, and concepts. But a lot of times people really believe, no, I am, I'm those things and they're so important to me and they cling to them very much. And, and then I think that's also then where people kind of lose their sense of humor about, Mm -hmm about life and i think that gets in the way of humility too that when when we kind of take this humorless view of of things and there's the seriousness to everything particularly around identity then um can there be arrogance there sure can there be um invalidating other people that that you have an idea about what their identity means. Sure. And and then 
we sort of lose our ability to be playful in discussing things, to have humor when discussing things, recognizing a lot of the absurdity. And, and none of those things really lends to a kind of hu- humility. I mean, Lao Tzu was called the, I mean, he was kind of described as, as being like a, a child, even though he was an old, old man. Yeah. And, and I think that's what it is that, that there's, there's that sense of, of playfulness and not taking things so seriously. Yeah. Yeah. I remember in some of the chapter, early chapters we read, uh, you know, he's saying, you know, other people, they, you know, they extol themselves as clever. You know, I feel like I'm foolish. You know, I'm, uh, you know, like I'm not chasing those like treasures. You know, I'm poor. So as you can see that I, I feel like um, there's some kind of a, uh, not, uh, not there that serious, right? There's a, mm-hmm. a, a lightness or mm-hmm. maybe, as you said, the playfulness mm-hmm. to how that person takes him or herself. Yeah. Yeah. Even like, uh, you know, I, I remember one of the famous uh, poets, uh, uh, you know, what, uh, Whitman, you know, the American poet, right? So, uh, you know, people, I, I remember there's a line uh, saying that, you know, do I contradict myself very well that I contradict myself? Mm-hmm. I'm large. I contain multitudes. Mm-hmm. So, you know, even that, we can see that there's a, a lot of uh, uh, multi, like mm-hmm. there's richness yeah. in yeah. every one of us, which cannot be uh, segmented or mm-hmm. carved or boiled down to, you know, not just one identity. I think I think even a string of identities. You know, sometimes you yes. <laughs> you, you, you you split into let's say you have. Uh, you know, you have uh, 30 filters, different filters, but I still don't believe when you put that together, you get the individual. No. Because you cut it out. You, yeah. you, 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 you know, there's something that holding it all together because, mm-hmm. uh, for that individual. I even thought that individual's meaning is also has a lot to do with the meaning uh, kind of connected with other people. So that meaning is defined, not like just plug it out, right? For an individual, like say, oh, let's just take the uh, the racial identity mm-hmm. or educational identity, right? Mm-hmm. You can't do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the same logic, I feel like you cannot take out an individual out of the uh, social or cultural or, or, or the human context. Exactly. And And so... For me, hu- humility is is still grounded in the sense of, of first just kind of this curious o- open awareness of existing and I- existing in sort of this perpetual ignorance, not only about um, life and and its and its overall meaning or or purpose but also about myself, that there's so much about myself that's, that's so opaque to me 
and 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 so much about again the the thoughts that my mind has and the beliefs that my mind has that are ultimately empty at their core but sometimes it feels very real to me and so more of who i actually am is just this sort of presence of of awareness and and curiosity mm, and, mm. and there's something kind of funny about that just because you know we we want to hold on to so many things so tightly because it helps us make sense of the world and our ourselves but then the price that we pay is that we actually move further away from this sort of um humble presence and inside of of just you know curious awareness and um what i would say is more closely aligned with with the Tao. Mm. so are you saying that sometimes uh because there's a tendency that we want to create a picture of ourselves right the yes. narrative yes. in our head uh or some people say uh, when you present it outside, it's more like a persona. Uh, yes. What you are saying is sometimes uh, you acknowledge uh, that human tendency, but not take that for real, like a serious. Because, yes. uh, you know, like our head, our nauhai, is like a big stew, right? Yeah. <laughs> With all these, yes. like, chunk of, uh, uh, you know, carrots or peas yeah. or all kinds of things inside. <laughs> Right, it's all, all mixed. So, if you're trying too hard to create uh, something and call it something, uh, mm -hmm. glorify it, or mm -hmm. you know, put a label around it, mm -hmm. uh, first of all, that's not true to mm -hmm. whatever that is. Secondly, mm -hmm. the moment you created that, uh, maybe you are creating pain for yourself eventually. And, uh, and and suffering for other people too in some way. Is that what you're getting at? Yeah, that it's it's a lot of times we get confused and we think that we're the the stew or maybe just the actually even more we, we want to be like oh I'm I'm the pieces of potato in the stew <laughs> yeah I'm yeah, the pieces yeah. of carrots in the stew this this other stuff that I don't like to look at about myself that's right. not me that's something else right right and, right. And, and the reality is, is that we're none of that. We're not the potatoes. We're not the carrots. We're not the stew. We're the taster of the stew. We're the we're the the being. We're the essence. The being. The experience. We're the experiencer who tastes the stew. Okay, got it. So, uh, if that's the case, then why still there's that natural tendency? How can we get over it? Because Every time, how can you be more mindful and catch yourself, like say, here, here I am trying to create another narrative for myself. You know, I'm trying to make a, a you know, a glorified picture of a situation of myself, especially uh, right now. You know, mm -hmm. something like when you are either thinking in private or even, you know, sometimes you you do that unconsciously, I think, with yeah, other people, totally, right? Totally. You, you, you can't help it. It's almost like feel like, okay, uh, am I going to tell, you know, my future employer <laughs> that I'm not, I'm a stew or something? You know, of course I want to appear to be smart, you know, 
stories all around it, build around it. So yeah. How do you do that to uh, naturally start to, uh, yeah, to, 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 to acknowledge that reality with, you know, a sense of humility? I think if you, you know, I'm not saying like you are debasing yourself, but mm -hmm. I'm saying that how do you let that go out that people can see, oh, yeah, that's the real person, you know, uh, without, it's just like me or something. So the part that I'll address is, is where we need to sort of tell stories to other people for them to kind of understand things about us, like in a job situation. Mm -hmm. Well, the thing that we have to acknowledge, though, we're, we're telling a story. And I could tell that story 50 different ways, 100 different ways. What I'm doing is telling a story. That story isn't who I am. You know, I, I see in my work all the time, people come in and they've created a story about themselves. Yeah. And there's facts sprinkled into it. Like this happened to me. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not, I don't doubt that for a second that that, that happened to you, you know, whatever, or, or you accomplished that thing that you're telling me that you accomplished. Yeah. I, I don't doubt that, that you, you know, won that prize or, or whatever it is, but people make these stories and they get very, detailed and and there's all kinds of beliefs then that are associated with them and then there's also all kinds of roles then that come along for the ride that then really limit what people what options people gives themselves and so what people don't realize is is that those stories when we believe that's who i really am we really constrain ourselves down and that being humble and recognizing none of that story is really who I am. I mean, yeah, it's a way of telling a story. And if I'm, and if I'm need to kind of sell myself in an interview, I'm, I may as well tell a really good story because why not? Like I could tell the story with these facts in there a hundred different ways. I might as well tell it the way that makes me sound like a real asset to the company right because the logic is uh you know is uh, that's what they are looking for so yeah. you know we have this notion of uh you know same thing with the politicians you mm -hmm. know uh sometimes i wonder if politicians uh, the country is better off if politicians uh you know they are listening to listening to their mm -hmm. uh you know uh, the voters but at the same time uh, are able to process what they, they are really hearing. It seems like uh, the popular thing is you kind of, you are responding. No matter, you know, what the voters are thinking, you are responding to their saying. So in, in, the, in the interview instance, I think as usually the logic is, okay, if uh, that's what they are looking for, so you are telling them what they are looking for. So they can write it down and, and and put a check, you know, around that uh, skill set, mm -hmm. so they're they feel like they're more confident that 
you will be able to do the job. So why don't you just like frame your story that way? Yeah, because it's it's done to us every day, right? And and marketing, it's all telling the story that tries to make you feel a certain way, and then you get the product, and it's like, well, no, it wasn't like taking a rocket ship to the moon. It was, you know, something something to drink. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So the question is, it's everywhere. We are looking at, you know, we are part of that,、uh, you know, collective habit. How to break from that? Yeah, well, and and this is where, for me, it it all comes back to psychological flexibility, and, and again, holding all this stuff a lot more more lightly, where we make room for what's mysterious, what's unknown, what's uncertain, what's absurd, and and what's humorous. But that means letting go. Of a lot of what we see as a steady ground underneath our feet,、mm. and and so that's what's uncomfortable for people. That humility, by default, kind of implies I don't really know a whole lot, and I definitely don't know as as much as my mind wants me to believe, as much as my thoughts wants me. To believe as much as much as these, you know, when when I'm sitting in a therapy room as a you know a, a licensed professional clinical counselor, I mean, there's a lot of things loaded into that that you know where I've got to be an, an expert and yes, and, and there's all this stuff in there. Yes, but at the same time. Um, being psychologically flexible in that space too, recognizing well, that's that's just a story. That's just a lot of meanings kind of、um, intertwined in a narrative that now creates all these rules about what a licensed professional clinical counselor is supposed to say and do and know. And and there is something to it. I'm I'm not devaluing. Words com- completely like some philosophers would would,、um, but the point is 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 holding it lightly that no matter what I'm doing today in my therapy room, I would hope a hundred years from now, if humanity hasn't been destroyed by climate change or、mm-hmm. something else, that therapy looks completely different from what I'm doing right now, and that. That people have a lot more、um, insight into how to help people, and so what I'm saying is, even recognizing that, even if I'm an expert today, this is not the the gold standard.、Right? It's not the gold. I hope to hell it's not the gold standard. I hope that we have something better a hundred years from now, and that that maybe there's elements of what I'm doing that people are still doing, just like we look back at. Um, you know, people like Marcus Aurelius and and other inspiring people, and and say like, yes, there's things that we can learn from them. And I'm not comparing myself to Marcus Aurelius,、um, but the point is, is that we should be doing something better a hundred years from now in psychotherapy. And so I shouldn't get too attached to the idea of me being an expert because I know. I'm not right. 
Uh, so that's part of the humility that we are talking about, right? To yeah. uh, leave room for betterment or potential, uh, con you know, continuous improvement on right. whatever we are practicing today. Yeah. Um, let me uh, ask you another uh, phenomenon, another thing that happens a lot. People talked about, uh, you know, tailor your communication styles uh, or tailor your communications to different individuals. Uh, do you see that as sometimes um, when you do a lot of it, too much of a tailoring, uh, uh, you are actually not being authentic uh, because you are only presenting one aspect yourself because we all have, you know, again, it, it, there's different aspects. But sometimes does like tailoring create a sense of like say, oh, yeah, so I'm at the moment I'm connecting that with that individual, but you are not willing to reveal uh, the other aspects or sometimes even conflict, conflicting aspects to the person. I see, I find that a lot in the modern uh, society. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's adaptive, right? Like people, people are, are trying to survive and what is the nature of life? It, it adapts, it adapts to the environment. And so, of course, it makes sense that that type of, of behavior is within the scope of, of human behavior. And it happens pretty regularly because we're trying to adapt and survive. And, and so what are we trying to adapt and survive to? What are the modern demands and, and expectations? And so that puts a lot of constraints on how humble people can be or, or, or not be. And we have to acknowledge that too, that the constraints of our society is part of the function. I mean, we, we can't deny that, again, going back to when we talk about me being humble, we've already divorced the organism, our individual self, from an environment and are kind of saying, well, how can this organism just sort of independently be humble? But that's not the way that life works. I mean, we're we're organisms with a nervous system with a semi-permeable boundary, but is embedded within an environment. And there's a constant interaction happening between the environment and our nervous system. Right. Hu humility is also understanding my body's not completely under my control. And sometimes when I re react spontaneously, it might not be in a humble way, but it is adaptive. And it's also a function of my nervous system interacting with the environment. And so I can see the humility in that of like, wow, this, this body isn't completely under my control. So for example, just to give you an example, um, cognitive therapy back in, you know, 80s, 90s, 80s, 90s, even today, people who really prescribe to it, they want us to think about our cognitions and, and 
and and think differently and control our, our thoughts and that sort of thing. But the reality is, is that our minds aren't completely under our control. We don't have control over our minds the way that pure um, cognitive therapy of, of the past would say. So, for example, if I say to you, don't think about the color pink. Don't see the color pink at all in your mind. Now I'm the, thinking about it. <laughs> now you're thinking about it. And, and what if I also say, um, don't remember your name. Just whatever you do, don't remember your name. Just for like the next couple of minutes, don't remember your name. I just do the very opposite. <laughs> so there's all kinds of things that our minds are wired to do that happen automatically and are outside of our control. That's another big piece of humility of that sometimes, no matter how much I want to be humble, I'm an organism embedded in the environment. And if I feel threatened and I need to creatively adapt to the situation, I might do something that doesn't look humble at, at all because I'm just spontaneously reacting to the situation. We have to be humble about that. Like, I'm just going to, to, my organism isn't completely underneath my control. Executive functioning is there. Like, we have a prefrontal cortex that can help us engage better with um, making decisions, but it's not completely under my control. Sometimes it works better, sometimes it, it doesn't. Depending upon the circumstances, it might not work at all. So we have to be humble in, in that way, too. Yeah, I think that's another, it seems to, uh, feels like another layer of uh, humility, right? Uh, yeah. You are not ultimately controlling your mind. So uh, even though sometimes you act uh, not in a humble way, but you do that probably for uh, survival purposes or for adaptive purposes. So yeah. in that instant, you cannot kind of a, do you mean like you don't blame yourself? You are giving yourself, you, you are humble enough to acknowledge that. And also because of that humility, you are able to exercise some self-compassion. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, but there's, that. that's, and I love that you mentioned self-compassion because that's, you know, one of the other treasures is uh, the, the three jewels or three treasures of Taoism, I mean, along with humility. I mean, that's why the compassion comes in there. It's like, it's just not, it's not just me in this situation. It's everyone where we're all embedded in these nervous systems that are contextualized within a constantly changing environment. And if I can have the humility to see that my own body is not under my control, it's not. And, and then have compassion for myself. Well, can I now extend that to other people and be like, wow, they're in the exact same situation. And, and however, they're trying to creatively adapt to this situation right now, is not completely under their control. So if there's something going on with them that bothers me, can I also understand, well, they're just trying to adapt to this situation in a way that's not 
they're doing and we're kind of, we're kind of all experiencing this stew together and they're not the carrots and the potatoes or the stew they're also the experiencer of this situation that we're in and maybe they don't like what's going on any more than what i do but it's just kind of happening right right um can you be humble and be responsible at the same time uh because you know what we are saying here is you are humble enough to say that certain situations are not totally in your control right but being responsible sometimes implies you have an agency right you have some kind of a control over the situation so where where do you draw the line you know sometimes do you think that humility run the risk of like uh explaining away everything away and because there's a larger force there mm-hmm. but then you end up not taking certain responsibility mm-hmm. over certain aspects of life oh for sure and, uh, and uh, you- just like uh, another thought i have is uh, like a, uh, like a nietzsche right nietzsche mm-hmm. said you know the, the the morality of the traditional kind of a, a slave slave morality is mm-hmm. something like that it's not life yeah. affirming so you know along that line can you share some thoughts on that yeah cuz i I'd, i'd say so this gets back to the identity piece again if someone starts then creating this identity of a victim well now we're back in that identity piece again where you know oh i'm a victim because like i can't control my own body and the things that happen to me are out of my control and and you know it's society's fault and it's things that happened 300 years ago that have led me to this situation and and now i'm i'm powerless and you know society owes me and i mean now now we're in this victim mentality so, so that victim is there what's the true difference between that victim mentality versus uh, a uh, humble mindset there must be some diff- mm. uh, 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 some uh, substantive difference right yeah and and i think that for me it, it it's it's really a values question because if we look at at what um if i'm humble and that's what that's something that i value and i want to kind of bring into my life as much as i can as much as i'm i'm able to that's it's pretty active and i'm and i'm and i'm pretty conscious of it and and i'm trying to foster that and that probably exists within um a broader set of values too so humility probably isn't the only one let's say for example um just within dawism if if i'm saying i want to live according to the dawist values the three treasures of humility right. compassion and, and moderation now i'm i'm practicing bringing those values in, into the world where being a victim isn't a value that's an identity and and so now i'm 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 acting based upon 
all the rules that come along for the ride when I see myself as a victim. Oh, I'm a victim. So what that means is that when I'm in relationship with other people, I'm probably going to act like um, they're like, I get my sense of moral superiority by making them feel like they're offending me or, um, you know, triggering me or, or hurting me somehow. And, and what that does is it creates relational difficulties. It, it makes it difficult to have genuine relationships with other people because the victim brings that into all their relationships and then people are sort of put into a role that the victim, they, they either want the, the sympathy from them, so they either want the other person to kind of pity them and feel sorry for them, or they want to see the other person as a victimizer who's, who's now uh, uh, oppressing them. And so that creates all kinds of rigidity that way. So, so in other words, like being a victim doesn't bring in or create any uh, life-affirming or a positive uh, value. It's rigid. It's totally rigid. It's it's going rigid. to create. What do you mean by rigid? Well, just like I was saying, it, it in relationships it puts people and into roles rather than letting them be who they who they actually are. The person who sees themselves as a victim. They want the other people in their lives to either be, you know, to play these other roles, like pity me, or, or else I'm going to put you in the role of um, victimizer. And so that's rigid, right? Like you're not giving space to the other person to let themselves really be who they are. We we want the other. We want to kind of coerce. If I'm a victim, I'm probably going to want to coerce other people that I relate to to kind of fit into the roles that I um, want them to fit into. So it sounds to me like a, a reverse control. It's, a, it's like a, a, a yeah. you know, uh, it's, a, it's, it's like a power struggle. Yeah, it's it, like you were saying, it's just to give some background for people that aren't familiar with that aspect of Nietzsche's philosophy. Nietzsche talked about the master morality and slave morality and essentially the master morality is the morality of, of the aristocracy. It's about this will to power and um, kind of making y- y- yourself um, what are you, like the 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 uber man, like yeah, kind of the super the Uberman or superman. The, yeah. yeah, and and the slave morality was a response to that, say, saying like, well, we're not powerful enough to actually overthrow the aristocracy or, or, or get them to not wield that power. But the best thing that we have is this slave morality or, or kind of victim morality where we try to get power through making uh, people feel guilty um, or, or shame and, and trying to get them to sort of pity us to get what, what we need. I mean, that's the, the basics of it. I'm, I'm not a, Nietzschean scholar, but that's essentially what we're talking about. Right. So to summarize the key difference, uh, being humble is still uh, it's a very positive thing. So it's the yeah. acknowledgement of the uh, 
room for it. it, it, it it's not like I'm trying to articulate. Like being a victim is sometimes may not be humble. Oh, definitely. I mean, I think there's a lot of victims that then get a sense of entitlement. You know, I'm I'm entitled to all this stuff because of how I've been victimized or you're obligated to treat me like I want to trap you into um, making you treat me a certain way because of my identity as, as a victim. It's, it's arrogant. Arrogant or, or certain, a high level of rigidity, right? So yeah. like part of what we've been discussing, like being humble is not being rigid. Flexibility yeah. Yeah. is a, a key aspect being humble. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, there, there's a lot of ground there, but, but to me, I, I still feel ultimately humility has to fit within um, this sort of broader context of, of psychological flexibility and, and, um, how that fits within creating harmony in the present moment. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So uh, let's take a step back. Like when you think about this topic of humility, are there kind of a remaining questions in your mind about that aspect that you wonder about? Well, I would really love to know what people are going to be going to practice psychotherapy a hundred years from now. Ah, I'm just, that's that. I'm just kidding. Um, I mean, I do wonder that, but I know that doesn't really answer your question. Do you think that uh, the overall trend is people uh, are, you know, along that line of like a more client centric? So in, in other words, like the experts, because we are already seeing that uh, there's a kind of awakening of uh, consciousness uh, of the general population. Uh, people used to see doctors as, uh, you know, authority figure, mm-hmm. but of course there's a kind of a backlash, meaning mm-hmm. sometimes we challenge the basic of science, mm-hmm. but there's a certain, I see a certain trend that, you know, because of the explosion of knowledge, People, you know, are, 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 are more, they are yearning to see more authentic uh, doctors or helpers who don't pretend uh, to be the Superman or something. Yeah, exactly. And, and that is an improvement. I mean, the, the client-centered approach to medicine, which I'm including behavioral health underneath that, but we, we talk about the big words that we use in therapy is that we want to have nomothetic solutions, which means solutions that can be applied across um, the human species um, or, or, or nomothetic understanding, but, but ideographic treatments, which means treatments tailored for the individual. And, and so it's the spectrum again in this balance that we 
obviously see over and over again, you do have to have a broader understanding of what's going on in humanity. But then when you go to treat someone, you're not the expert on them. And you have to be from a place of humility where you have to have deep listening and really try to understand their subjective experience of life or their phenomenology. And that's something that we can't take for granted and be like, oh, I'm the expert. I know exactly what this person is going on with them. I mean, those days are, are, are over. Um, and, and so, yes, I, I think that's an aspect of, of humility that um, it's still this kind of un unwinding of, of really more and more trying to appreciate how each of us, even though we live on the same planet, the path that we have walked and that we're walking on is completely unique to each other. And what we notice, what we see, the quality of our experience, that is unique, unique to us and that we, we all need to have uh, more patience and understanding, trying to understand that about each other. Yeah. I see a lot of manifestation of, you know, what you're talking about here. And, uh, you know, in the leadership field, a uh, similar trend that you don't have, uh, you're not, people are more seeing, like, say, down-to-earth leaders as opposed mm -hmm. to, like, no, Mr. Know-it-all leaders, mm -hmm. right? Um, well, we are running out of time here, and uh, I just want to thank our listener for uh, being with us this morning and hope that our conversation will uh, further illuminate uh, you know, how we can embody uh, humility in our daily life.